Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Those of you who are here in the house, those of you who are joining online, thank you guys so much for, for being with us here at Hilton and Island Community Church this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor, and I have with me our Connections pastor. Why don't you give it up for Matt Sedell this morning? Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. Hey. Matt has been on our staff since a long September. Time. A yeah. long time. Yeah. Man, from September to now. It's okay. I've experienced it, all four seasons. It's it, fine. Yes, and just about every crisis in the world. So anyway, yeah. all right, in four months. Uh, Matt is uh, going to be uh, uh, speaking to us this morning, and uh, I'm really excited about what God has uh, placed on his heart. But I, I want you to get to know him because a lot of you don't know him yet. T Matt, tell us briefly about your job as Connections Pastor. Yeah, so my role is to oversee three areas here at the church, and they're really the areas that I think touch almost every adult. So uh, I'm responsible for connections. As we move people from outsider to insider, we want to be, I'm responsible for the team that helps you to feel welcome all along the way. And I'm responsible for our group's ministry, the place where we are uh, asking people and, and encouraging people to grow as followers of Jesus. And I get to oversee a team of folks who care well for the church. We call them Stephen ministers, but I oversee all of our care ministry here. And it's really to walk with people through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, and particularly through the bad and the ugly. So I really love what I get to do. I think I get to see people at their best. You do, and you're doing a great job. I'm excited about you being on staff. You have a family, uh, Liz. Uh, I do. Yes. I have a, a wife, Liz, and uh, two kids, Cody and Wren. Cody loves dinosaurs, and Wren loves to give hugs, although she's super dramatic, and so lately she's been making like really angry faces. It's really cute. <laughs> and if you ask Cody about dinosaurs, be prepared to spend some time talking yeah. about dinosaurs. Am I right? Yeah, and yeah. don't say T-Rex is your favorite because he'll yeah, make you pick another one. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, one just fun fact about Matt is, um, unlike most of our staff, in fact, maybe unlike all of our staff, uh, Matt is a South Carolina native, all right? Yeah. So a uh, little uh, South Carolina trivia here. Up. Thank you. So Thank that, you. You got one shout out? I got one. That's in okay. South Carolina, I, I, I received that. Thank you. Because most everybody's from Ohio here. Anyway, so um, <laughs> Matt, tell us a little bit about, yeah. some of you like, I haven't heard about Ohio in a while. Um, yeah. Tell us a um, little trivia here uh, about the South Carolina motto. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. So fun fact, there's actually two state mottos, right? Because I guess we couldn't decide. Uh, so the first one, and they're actually both really, really helpful for the season that we live in. The first one is prepared in mind and resources. Man, wouldn't it be great if that were actually true? And the second one, while I breathe, I hope. Gosh, I wish that those things were really, really true for us as a state, for us as a church, for us as a world. No doubt. While I breathe, I hope. While I breathe, I hope. I think it's uh, just appropriate words, appropriate motto for us today. And Matt and I wanted to start um, today in light of the events in the U.S. Capitol um, this week and the unrest, the division, the deep, deep division um, that we see around our country and around our world. Uh, we wanted to start today um, by praying. Last week, I called you to prayer. I called us to prayer. Those of you who are online, those of you who are here in the house, you're going to see later today a 24-hour prayer event that we're going to be having at the church. And I, I, uh, we decided to do that before Wednesday's events. But we um, just feel like we need to um, be on our knees figuratively, um, literally. And so would you join me, whether you're at home right now, would you join Matt and I? Matt's going to pray and I'm going to pray, and then he's going to deliver today's message. But would you join me, join us as we pray for unity, as we pray for peace, and as we pray for our country, and as we pray for God's kingdom, God's kingdom. 
and God's will to be done. So would you join me today? And actually, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here in the house, or if you want to, you can kneel. Let's go to God in prayer. Matt, would you get us started? Oh, Lord, your kingdom is so big. And our dreams, our ideas of what a kingdom here look like are so small. So would you give us your kingdom-sized eyes so that the world we live in is expecting that kind of kingdom? And would everything that is less than that be wiped away from our hearts, from our minds, from our mouths, from our ears, so that we can pursue you and the things that you deeply love here in this place, in this time? Amen. And Father, we recognize here this morning, especially in light of what happened in the Capitol this week, there are so many different emotions, as Cynthia just prayed, so many different feelings, so many different senses that people have right now. God, there's fear, there's dread, there's worry, uncertainty, maybe anger, sorrow, maybe even grieving in some cases. And Father, I pray that we would put aside those feelings and those emotions for a moment. And God, I pray that you would help us to look within. Father, I pray that you, as David prayed to you, that you would help us to make ourselves available for you to search us, God. Because this nation and this world needs 360-degree healing, and that begins when there's 360-degree confession and repentance and forgiveness. Father, I pray that you would help us to have our eyes on your kingdom, as you said in Matthew 6, that we would pursue it first, that there would be nothing else in our way. And God, I pray for peace in America. I pray for peace in our world. But God, I pray for unity in our world. I pray for unity. God, I pray that you would cause people to be able to have discussion and debate. And God, I pray that it wouldn't turn ugly. I pray that you would help us to learn how to do that and that your church would lead in that, Father, that your people would lead in that. God, most of all, I pray that your name, as we just sang about, is made higher than any other name. Father, I pray that your kingdom is the kingdom that we pursue. And God, we can't wait to see your kingdom come. And I pray, Father, God, that you would heal us from the inside out. May we be ready for you to do an amazing work over these next 30 days and in the days to come. And may your church, capital C Church, be the leader of true change, repentance, confession, and salvation. God, I pray that people would see all that's taking place in the world and that they would turn to you. We give you today, and I pray for Matt right now. I pray over us, those who are watching at home, those who are here in the room, God, I pray that we would be attentive to what you have to say. God, we give it to you. In Jesus' name, I pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. Thanks, Todd. Good morning. That was good, thanks. I'm sure everyone online said good morning as well, so thank you guys. My name is Matt, like Todd said, and I uh, love serving here on this church staff. And I'm glad that you're here in person and online. Today's going to be a good day. And if this is your first time or your first time in church in a long time, I am especially glad that you're here. This is the time of year when people are looking at their lives with an awareness that something is not as it should be. 
and we want something to change. And usually change means adding or subtracting something from our life. So if you're here because you are wondering whether Jesus is worth adding to your life, the answer is yes. Yes. But don't take my word for it, please. Don't take my word for it. There are good questions to ask about life, the universe, everything. My contact information is on the screen. I would simply love to walk with you as you ask these good questions. To wonder whether or not Jesus is worth believing in. Because I think that he is. But what happens after we believe? What does the life of faith look like? When I was in seminary, I read this really helpful book. I read lots of books. Some were good, some were not so good. Um, but I read this really helpful book, and this guy, um, he, he changed my framework for thinking about conversion and discipleship and what the, what the life of faith is all about. See, typically, we think of conversion as a bounded set, in or out, black or white, off or on. And while it is absolutely true that the life of faith begins when we move from dead in our sin to alive in Christ, the way that we most often experience it is as, is as a centered set, that we move ever toward more of Jesus, and that somewhere along the way, we cross a threshold and move into the life of faith, but we are ever moving towards more and more and more of Jesus because he is endlessly wonderful. Todd did something really important a couple of months ago, uh, not just hiring me. Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> what Todd did was he uh, looked at our Christmas and said, we need to do something really important. So we're going to use our sermon series to intentionally place ourselves between the first arrival of Jesus and the future arrival of Jesus. The one that defined, the definitively established for all time the thing that creation had been longing for. A kingdom of God established here through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's done. It's finished. It's already here. And yet, we live in the not yet. Because it is not yet fully unveiled and fully revealed through the next arrival of Jesus. The one that we hope and long for. So how do we live in this already but not yet kingdom of God? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the book of Acts, a couple of different passages, where the church was in the very beginning stages of trying to figure out this already but not yet reality. Acts was written uh, as a sequel to the gospel according to Luke. Luke was uh, a leader in the early church, not a disciple, but a close friend of Paul's. And Luke is noteworthy in his gospel and in the book of Acts for giving us extraordinary detail. He went out of his way to get um, primary sources to interview people who were on the scene. And so his account is very trustworthy and full of details uh, that are e extremely helpful. So at the end of the Gospel of Luke and at the beginning of Acts, Jesus has been crucified and died and resurrected. And then he meets with his disciples, about 120 people at the time, the whole church. And he says, wait. Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit descends upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends. He goes back to be with the Father to wait for his next arrival. And while he, and then what happens next is Pentecost, this big festival in, in Jerusalem. And all of the people from all over the place are there. 
And when the Holy Spirit descends on the, on the church, they begin to speak in different languages. They go out into the marketplace and they're talking to people and they're hearing the gospel in their own language. And people are amazed. Some people think that they're drunk. And then Peter gets up and he says, no, 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 no. These people are not drunk. And then he begins to proclaim to them the gospel. And 3,000 people are saved. It is an extraordinary day in the life of the church. But it creates this huge logistical problem. Because the church went from about 120 people, uh, about as many chairs are, as are in this room right now, to over 3,000. Now, what would you do if you were in charge? If you were responsible for figuring out what the church was supposed to be and do, what would you do? How would you decide what the already but not yet reality of the church looks like? A different picture of the already but not yet uh, military historians will tell you that D-Day was the day that World War II was won. And yet, for 11 more months, millions of people had to make wise, brave, and creative decisions that had real-world implications. We live in a world today where there, is, uh, there are multiple vaccines that have been developed that, we, uh, that are being distributed as we speak, and we hope that they will bring about an end to COVID. We have a kind of fuzzy picture of what already but not yet looks like. In the early church, after 3,000 people come to faith, the church has to make the same kinds of wise, brave, and creative decisions. So our first text this morning comes from Acts 2. Right after the sermon in Pente- right after Peter's sermon in Pentecost, where 3,000 people are saved, he says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, we read this, and we think, that kind of looks like the church, right? A big deal. What's so important about that? This was the first time that this was established as a pattern for the church. This was the first beginning of what the already but not yet reality of the church looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the scripture as we have it today to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. These are kind of the things that we do here at Hilton Head Island Community Church when we gather on Sunday mornings and in our groups. Now, one of my responsibilities here at the church is to oversee our group's ministry, and I love groups. I've done them for a long time. Here we have five core commitments. We ask our groups to study scripture, to care for one another, to serve others, to share the gospel, and to pray together often. If you will do those five things, you will grow. Study scripture, care for one another, serve others, share the gospel, and pray together often. But the reality is that we stink at some of these things, right? I know that I do. And so I'm in a group because I need people to help me to do the things that I'm not good at, to remind me that I want to do the things that sometimes I don't want to do. And our groups are a great place to do that. So if you're not in a group, I would encourage you, please, 
join a group. The easiest way to do it is to go to our website, uh, and you can get information there, or you can reach out to me. My contact information is up there. This is what I look like. You can find me. Right? I'm going to show you a picture of the very first small group that I led. Is it up there? Yeah. So this is the very first small group that I led at Virginia Tech. Uh, I was in a ministry called InterVarsity, and they asked me to lead a group. I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I am unqualified to do that. Anybody else ever felt unqualified to do something? Yeah, so they asked me to lead this group, and I said, nope, you got the wrong person. And they said, no, 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 we think that you're right. We'll put you with our best co-leader. And so Austin and I moved into Pritchard, a dorm that was notoriously bad. And we started a small group with the intention of trying to change the reputation of the dorm of about 1,000 guys. So we called our group Pritchard is Your Daddy. So that is Pritchard is Your Daddy. And those guys are all over the world now. Well, when we met together, I still felt unqualified. I had a chance before Christmas to talk to one of these guys and uh, ask him, you know, what, what was your experience like in this group? What, what, what was it all about? And he said to me, the, the thing about this group was that it, for the first time, was the place where I actually owned my faith as if it was my faith. If you're listening to this, and that's your story, that your faith has not yet become your faith, I would encourage you to join a group. Now, since this time, I've led uh, dozens of groups. Some have been good, some have been awesome, some have been terrible and fallen apart. That's okay. That's just kind of the nature of this sometimes. And I would encourage you to get into a group. I've led dozens of groups, and some have been great. And I've been a director overseeing, training, and developing uh, leaders. I've probably trained about 500 leaders at this point. My last job was to oversee, uh, to, to oversee the strategic direction of, of a church of a couple thousand for their uh, group's ministry. So I know groups really well. But when I walk into that building next door on Monday nights with Kurt and Ryan and Melissa and Taylor and Ryan and a couple of other folks, I still get nervous. I still feel like a 19-year-old unqualified kid leading a group. And yet, God shapes us bit by bit to look a little bit more like him. I love Acts 2. I love this passage because it gives us a picture of what could happen. And it gives us a picture of growth. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Wouldn't it be awesome if our church was a church where bit by bit, the Lord added to our numbers those who are being saved? A numerical growth, right? The thing is, it's not actually always a sign of health. Like if I walked into a meeting with my kids' teachers uh, and, and said, hey, what's your goal for the year? And she said, um, well, my goal is that I can grow the number of kids in our class by 50% over the year. I'd be kind of mad. And yet, numerical growth is often a sign of actual life change that's happening within the church. And so as we read through the, the, the next couple of passages in Acts, one of the things that you'll see is a sign of numerical growth as a representation of the growth that was happening in the individual's lives. When I led my group, I didn't feel qualified, and I still don't really feel qualified. But bit by bit, we changed, and we grew. One of the reasons that I don't love this passage in Acts is because it's often treated as the end-all, be-all model of what the church looks like. How many of you have ever been in a church where this was, this was it? This was, this was the peak of what it meant to be the church, right? So when I grew like I've heard that message preached many times. 
But that's just not what Luke intended for us to read in this passage. It's not designed to show us what the, what, what the, the end-all, be-all model of the church looks like. It was the beginning. It was a good beginning. But it's not everything. And they didn't get it all right. And it's okay if we don't get it all right the first time, too. Just a little bit later in, in Acts 4, so one of the things in Acts 2 is that uh, they're told that they care for one another, that they were sharing their possessions. And there's even a story in Acts 4 about this guy named Joseph who sold a field, and he donated the proceeds to the church so that they could meet the needs of other people. But just two chapters later, we hear about a dispute in the church where there's a group of people whose needs are not being met. And it just so happened that they didn't look like anybody else, that they didn't talk like anybody else, and they didn't have the same culture. And their needs weren't being met. I wonder how often that happens in churches like ours, where people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who haven't come from the same places that we've come from, don't have their needs met. And so in Acts 6, the church does something really important. We're going to read this. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. We'll come back to that. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and of the Spirit, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prepared and, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So, if any of you are pregnant and are looking for good uh, names for boys, <laughs> maybe don't choose some of these. So, a uh, quick note about Acts two, uh, where, where the the leaders of the church say it's not right for us to wait on tables. Right? We read that today and we think, man, this is a slam on the service industry, or this is trying to elevate the proclamation of the gospel above serving. And that's actually not at all what is happening in the passage. The word there is the word um, diakonon. It's, it's, a, it's a Greek word that means to serve, to minister. It's the word that is used to describe Jesus at the Last Supper, presiding over the table. It's also a word to, to use to describe the manager of money who sits at a financial table. So this is no slam. In fact, two of the people who are listed here are people who, in the very next section, are proclaiming, are, 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 are extraordinary preachers. So, uh, F so Stephen and Philip. The next passages are about them actually being preachers. So it's not just about uh, serving the tables. These were, these were men who, who actually took seriously the responsibility to care. What if we, as a church, took seriously the responsibility to care? What do you think would happen? We have a group of people here uh, in our church who have been trained especially to walk with people through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and especially through the bad and the ugly. We call them Stephen ministers. They're named after the first guy in this list. And their responsibility is uh, to walk with people for as long as is necessary uh, to receive care. Because all of us at some point need care. 
2020 for me was a really hard year. January 15th, I was called into a meeting with my supervisor and the lead pastor of the last church where I worked. And they said, look, we love you. Um, It's nothing personal. You've done a great job. But we're going to let you go, along with 30 other people, because our church has experienced significant financial uh, decrease in our giving. I can tell you more about that later. But what you should know is that for me, uh, most of 2020 has been a time where I needed care. It's the first time as a father and as a husband where we received medical, or sorry, where we received government assistance, where people that I knew and that loved us actually walked alongside us. If you're in this room or if you're watching online and you're in a place where you need care, let us know. We were made as a church to care for one another. And what happened as a result of the church caring for one another is extraordinary. This is from... uh, This is from uh, Acts 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You don't have to be great at math to know that addition is a slower way to grow than multiplication. Multiplication grows things really fast. And the church, when they began to take seriously the call to care for one another, began to multiply. It's, it's, it's a greater picture of, of what happened. It, it was, Acts 2 was a good start. But Acts 6, when the church began to multiply, is an even better start. Multiplication is better. But you know what's better than multiplication? What grows things faster than multiplication? I heard somebody say it. Say it loud. Exponential growth, right? So the church in Acts 9 actually experiences exponential growth. Just a quick recap, Stephen was one of the, uh, one of the seven who was uh, charged with caring for the church. And what he does is he goes out and he preaches. Uh, we're told that he preaches a message, and, and then he's killed. And he's persecuted, and the persecution leads to the church being scattered. And when the church is scattered, it, it, it causes people to go everywhere. And one of the people who was doing the persecuting was a guy named Saul. So he's on his way to another town to go do some more persecuting. And on the way, he meets somebody... He meets Jesus, and Jesus says, don't persecute me anymore. And then Saul, through the course of some really cool events, becomes a follower of Jesus, and he tries to come to Jerusalem to join the church. And while he is trying to make his way in, they say, no, 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 you're not safe. We don't want you here. But then there's a guy, the guy who sold his field earlier. His name was Joseph. This earned him a nickname, Barnabas. Son of encouragement. It's the name that he's known by throughout the rest of scriptures. So Joseph, Barnabas, he goes out and he finds Saul, Paul, and he brings him in. He says, this guy is one of us. He belongs in the church. And it's at this point that the church begins to multiply in multiple places. We call this exponential growth. But what happens next is even more extraordinary. Because the church is sent, to, because the church hears about people in Antioch, this far off place in modern day Turkey where people have come to faith in Christ. And who do they send? They send son of encouragement, Joseph. So the guy who was instrumental in bringing in Paul, he goes to this place where nobody thought that anybody could come to faith in Christ. And he brings them in as well. And he takes Paul with him. 
And they're there for about a year, encouraging these people. The ministry of welcoming is a really big deal. In Acts 2, the church got it started. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna gather together. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And the Lord added to their number. Man, we should be a church that the Lord adds to our number day by day those who are being saved. And then the church took seriously the responsibility to care. Some of you are here today, and you need care. It is okay to ask for it. And some of you are here today, and you have the capacity to care for others. Use that gift. And then in Acts 9, the church begins to welcome people who do not look like them. People who are a little bit dangerous, a little bit risky. And we know that anytime somebody gets added to a group, it changes the dynamic of a group. Our church needs to have its dynamics changed. There are people who are not here that should be here. And we have the capacity to welcome them in. If you are in this room, if you are listening to my voice online, you are here because somebody somewhere along the lines said, I'm going to welcome somebody who doesn't look like me. That's why you're here. Somebody near you, whether it's somebody sitting beside you, whether it's one of your neighbors, whether it's somebody that you work with, I don't care. There is somebody somewhere that needs you to be a son or daughter of encouragement and welcome them in. We're going to take a couple of minutes and do something uh, that is a little bit different. I want to encourage you to look around and notice the people sitting beside you. If you are watching online, look out your window at your neighbors. Don't do anything creepy. (laughs) But look at them. Notice them. Right? For real. I'm going to just be quiet for a second and give you a chance to actually look at the people around you. a little awkward, right? It's okay, right? What if the person you just looked at needed what you have? Not in a way that requires you to give it to them, but what if you, like Joseph, saw something that you had, that you had the capacity to give away, and that you could be a son or daughter of encouragement for them? If you are here, if you have come to join our church, you are a South Carolinian. And so your motto is now, while I breathe, I hope. If you have come to join this church, then your motto is our motto. We want to see people meet Jesus, and we want to invite them to know Jesus for the rest of their lives. This is who you are. This is your identity now. May you be sons and daughters of encouragement for one another. May the Lord add to our number day by day those who are being saved. May he multiply the number of disciples in our church. And may he exponentially grow his gospel through us. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are good. 
Everything you do, Father, Son, and Spirit, is really, 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 really good. So would you help us as followers of Jesus to figure out how to live as disciples, that we would grow bit by bit to know you more? So help us to make a next step, to figure out what it means for us. What, what do we need to do? How do we need to grow? Where can we go? to look more like you, to act more like you, to welcome people who do not look like us, but look like you made them. Our church is a reflection of you, God. So would you help us to reflect who you are more and more and more in the days and weeks ahead? There is something beautiful about you, God. Help us to see it. Help us to grow as disciples. And for the people who are still deciding whether or not Jesus is worth believing in, worth following, worth choosing, God, would you help them to see just a glimpse of who you are? And would you put a son or daughter of encouragement in their life? so that they would come to know you, that 2020 would be a year of belief and of growth as followers of Jesus. Would you do this because you are good and you are infinitely able? In Jesus' name, amen.